0: Welcome to the Casella Waste Systems Podcast, Beyond the Bin, where we're lifting the lid off the waste industry to dispel the myths surrounding trash and recycling. Through interviews with community members and industry leaders and experts, we'll dive into the details about what goes into recycling, composting, landfills, waste reduction, and much more. Let's curb those misconceptions and change the way we all think about waste.
1: Hi, I'm Shabazz.
2: And I'm Brianna.
1: We're your hosts for Beyond the Bin, where we'll learn what really happens to your waste and recycling.
2: In this episode, we'll be speaking with Bob Capedonia and Rachel Washburn, two members of the Casella Recycling Team, who have a combined four decades of experience in the recycling industry. We'll be discussing where our recycling goes after it leaves our home, the technology involved in sorting recyclable material, the role international and domestic markets play in recycling, and the role customers play in keeping recycling streams clean. Throughout our podcast episode, you'll hear industry terms. Here are some of the terms to listen for in this episode.
1: High-grade facility, where material from mostly industrial sources gets collected in bulk and baled. MRF, materials recovery facility, where mixed recyclables get sorted into separate commodities. Single-stream recycling, where different recyclables like paper, cardboard, containers, etc. are all collected in a single bin. Zero-sort. Casella's branded name for single-stream recycling. You'll hear Bob mention OCC, or old corrugated containers. This is just an industry term for cardboard. You'll also hear Bob mention the chasing arrow on consumer products. What he's referring to is a triangle made up of three arrows that is found on consumer products. Just because a product has the symbol on it does not mean that the product is okay to put in your recycling bin. Thank you,
0: Rachel, and, and thanks Bob for joining us today. I know you Rachel, you had a long drive coming down from Maine. So we wanted to ask you how'd you start with Casella or how'd you start with the waste industry? Bob, I know you have a pretty interesting start in in Casella and in the waste industry. And and Rachel, you've done some pretty cool things up in Maine, so it'd be cool to, to get to know a little bit more about
3: that. Sure, sure. So I've been in the industry over 30 years. When Casella sold off the FCR assets outside of the Northeast footprint, John Casella asked me to stay on and serve as vice president of the recycling operations that were currently under the footprint. And here I am today managing, you know, uh, overseeing assets that market and process over 850,000 tons.
4: And what about you, Rachel? Actually, a Casella truck drove by and I thought, hey, well, there's a a business that's sustainable and everybody needs it. It's not going to go anywhere. And I started with our collection hauling division. And then shortly after that, I was moved into the operations training program. From there, I ran the operations for the Scarborough hauling division in Maine for about three years uh, and then moved over to the Lewiston Murph, which is the recycling facility up in Maine, about five years ago. And about halfway through that, I also took on the Scarborough high-grade facility. which is more of an industrial recycling facility, which is where I am now.
0: Cool. And could you just define uh, MRF as MRF? What does that stand for again? Yeah.
4: So a MRF is a material recovery facility, which is what we call it in the business. Um, But basically, it's where all your curbside and collection goes, where we sort it all out, process it, bail it, and send it back out to market for reuse.
2: Can you talk about the difference between dual stream recycling and zero sort recycling?
3: The collection for recyclables was more of a source-separated material. When I say source-separated, bottles were by itself, paper was by itself, cardboard was by itself, and it would come into a recycling facility, and that's how it would be processed. Very clean, kind of a dump and bale, just right through a baler, not through any sorting line or any technology. Only technology was a baler. And over the years, convenience turned things into kind of the collection dual stream, where containers was on one side— Fiber was on another side of a truck. And then that led to more technology at at the material recovery facility, the MRF itself. And then even further, coming into the early 2000s, um, single stream came and that made it completely convenient for the homeowner the convenience was at the household of throwing everything all the recyclables in one bin and that led to even further technology of optical sorting and disc screens and separating fiber from containers to a processing of again disc screens and opticals um, extracting glass Um, so today it's shifted from Collection, sort separated collection at the curb to making it convenient from a collection standpoint and a household standpoint, and shifted all of the processing and the separation of those materials to the facility itself.
2: Is there an increased issue with contamination with zero sort now?
3: Well, you know, when, when single stream came about, again, it was about convenience at the household level. And we asked everybody to throw it in one bin, and guess what They threw everything <laughs> in one bin. <laughs> some of the things that we we don't want to see right, and it's nothing really nothing malicious, it's just the uncertainty of what goes into a bin right so um we always we're at the point now where don't sweat the small stuff. Let's concentrate on the on the big materials: the cardboard, the bottles, the glass. But yeah, over the years, is with the uncertainty of the acceptable lists and the unacceptable lists, there has been an increase in contamination. So,
0: Rachel, in terms of the you know contamination being one of the big issues in the business, what else do you see as like a challenge within the business, or maybe an opportunity in the business? You know, on the MRF side up in Maine, maybe across of our footprint.
4: Yeah, I think a lot of it right now it really stays with the contamination story and how the world really has recycled for so long. Convenience was definitely a factor. And then you run into that classic um, intention versus impact situation where everyone wants to recycle as much as they can and do good. And that worked for a little while, but as the world changes and the demands of what our buyers or the recycling markets want, how we recycle is and needs to change. Everyone needs to do a little bit better. We do have a Recycle Better program right now. Um, You can find it on our website, which helps people to see what should and should not go into your recycling bin. I think the easiest, Way to explain it to someone in a community, a residential recycler is to just think of the commonality of the product. Is it something that is also going to be in all of your neighbor's bin that week? A milk jug, a Tide bottle, detergent, um, soda cans, Newspaper. soda bottles, some newspapers nowadays. But if you kind of have that weird one-off item in your kitchen and you're trying to figure out if that should go in your bin or not, try and consider if it's going to be in all of your neighbor's bins that week. And if they don't have one of those, you probably should not include it in your recycling. And it's just changing the way that we've all thought forever because we want everything to go out and go into the recycling but in reality when we're guessing and throwing those things into the mix it's actually hurting our process it's making recycling more expensive for everyone and it's causing some contamination in our end products so
0: right yeah and it's like pushing the issues sometimes over to not just domestic processors here but also processors overseas as well right
3: i mean really the initiative is how do we make it easier for the, for the consumer, because over the years, what's really caused the contamination is the confusion. Whether I throw the little item in the bin or I don't throw the little item in the bin, and the Recycle Better campaign kind of bullets out the top five that Rachel talked about of what we want to see in the bin, right, right? and simplified, it. We've almost, we've gotten away from the numbers because the numbers are a little confusing too, right? One, two, one through sevens, well, you gotta look on the bottle. Now it's just, okay, bottle, jars, tubs, Right, that's what we want to see, and that kind of simplifies it. Okay, if it's one of those three, we'll throw it in the bin. So it's 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 great. It kind of takes recycle better. Kind of takes the confusion out of what to throw in the bin and what not to throw in the bin. So. Right. Um, I think we're going to see, and it's a big push within the industry to kind of clean up the contamination, and, and you're going to see some positive results on it.
4: Yeah, it adds clarity, absolutely. And another thing is um, just going to our website to the Recycle Better. You can download posters, um, some educational material that you can post in your work or at a transfer station, really anywhere, to help add clarity for for your customers or things like that. So hopefully everybody takes a peek at that.
0: Bob, you mentioned as far as you know within the industry, because of like the last like two years, some of the domestic recycling. and so I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about how that could create some shifts or, or maybe make some ripples or waves.
3: You know, uh, back in the fall of 2017, China announced that they were going to ban 24 recycling materials. The two biggest changes was the banning of the mixed paper grade coming into their country, which in percentages is about 40% of the residential recycling stream in the U.S. and in any curbside uh, program. So that has a huge impact on, on our market. And then the second piece, anything coming into China from a recycling standpoint, had to be one half of 1% prohibitives, which the industry standard is 2% and under. And to meet one one of one half in a recycling facility is virtually impossible. So the industry has no choice but to avoid China. And when you move 13 million tons that had previously gone into China to other markets, definitely a supply and demand from a pricing standpoint. And... Over the past two years, China has stuck to its guns, and now you see development within the United States, or planned development. Most telltaleing was American Chunam, or ACN, as we call it, call them um, are the largest mills in China reinvesting into the U.S., which tells us that China probably not going to come back into the into the recycling market. Uh, they've bought a mill in West Virginia. They've purchased two other mills that they plan to retrofit and handle the mixed paper grade itself. You see other various mills within the country, large mill, Cascades, Pratt Industry, that are also planned retrofits to handle large volumes, hundreds of thousands of tons of this mixed paper grade, along with OCC cardboard old corrugated containers, as we call them. But it takes time to develop and large $200 million retrofits planned over the next three to five years, right? So hopefully that all comes online, creates capacity domestic, and we're also reliant on the export side.
4: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the recycling market changes and changes for the better. I mean, it's hard right now. Everybody needs to educate themselves on the changes that have come up, what's different from how we used to recycle. But I think it's very exciting because... We're a very innovative society, and there's a lot of neat things coming through the woodwork here on people trying to solve a lot of these problems that we have, especially with plastic. So it's exciting to see how that all plays out in the future. I think pain that we're feeling now, will, they'll, it'll be a good change in the future.
3: Yeah, I think it's important, too, that now that it, this is well known outside of the industry, there's a lot of, lot of it in the, in the news with regards to what's going on on the recycling side, it's a dilemma. But yeah. dilemmas lead to opportunity also. So we see the opportunities. The high-end mills see those opportunities, as the the ACNs talked about, the Pratt industry. They, they see those opportunities to grow inside the United States. And you're going to see that over the next 24 months, 36 months. Absolutely.
2: And Rachel, one other thing going back to recycling through zero sort from a residential standpoint, do you want to maybe touch on the big five that you can recycle and then maybe the top five contaminants that we find in zero sort recycling? Top five that
4: we love to get in the recycling facility is your number one and two plastics. Those are number one would be your water bottles, Gatorade bottles, things like that. Number two would be your HDs, we call them in the recycling world. That's your milk jugs, your tied laundry detergent bottles, cardboard. Paper and aluminum cans are really our primary that we look for to get in your curbside recycling. The five do-nots, I would love to just wrap into one uh, (laughs) because there's so many things that shouldn't go in. We're really pushing right now to clean up plastic bags out of the stream. They're very light They wrap around our processing equipment. A lot of the machinery that we use to separate recycling is big, heavy equipment. And anything that sorts has so many components that spin. Uh, You think of shafts, bearings, sprockets, chains. And these bags just wrap and wrap and wrap into our processing equipment. And unfortunately, it's a big safety hazard for our employees. Our guys and girls that work out in the plant have to go into these Huge pieces of equipment and cut and clean all of these bags out. Sometimes up to three times a shift and it's very dangerous. So that's the number one reason for me operating a plant is I don't like sending our employees in to have to do that. Um, The number two is how it contaminates and finds its way into mostly our fiber bales. It's just so light, it acts like paper almost. So it's very hard for us to sort all of that out. So a huge push right now to get the plastic bags out of the stream. But I will also say that we don't want them going in the trash. We hope that people at home will collect those bags and return them to the grocery stores or shopping stores with they, where they bought the merchandise from, most of those stores will take them back and recycle them.
3: Awesome. So if I can just add, I mean, uh, that's that's definitely the top one, right? Yeah. By just by volume, problematic uh, from a quality standpoint in our equipment. You also have the we call tanglers, the hoses, the strings. You have food waste that is is problematic. I think one of the biggest ones that we're kind of moving up the list because safety is number one in our, our facilities before anything. Product- productivity, quality, safety is number one, and you see a lot of lithium batteries now. Oh yes. Right. right. Thank so you. <laughs> they uh, they. Kind Create uh, they heat they heat up and they create a, a flammable incident. Um, I can tell you in the industry and stuff, they average five a week of of small flammable fires in the within the industry. We've had we track our flammable incidents. We've had close to forty last year in 2018, and half of them can be backtracked to some type of lithium battery. I know some of folks in the industry have lost a whole facility just backtracking to a lithium battery and it's difficult because they do have the chasing arrow on it but it just does not go on the curbside so safety is number one to our employees that kind of moves up the list the lithium batteries do not throw on the curbside yeah
4: yeah we just had one last week in a in a collection truck on the way to the recycling facility a lithium battery ignited in the truck and started the truck on fire so it's a huge issue
2: those batteries also should not go to the landfill though No. Just to anything, yeah.
3: well, anything <laughs> in the, in the waste industry—they have yeah. their own take-back program. The lithium batteries do. So it, you're right, Brianna, It shouldn't go into either the recycling bin, the waste bin, or to the you know a bin at the, a transfer station. Find the home locally that has a take-back program on lithium yeah. batteries. I think one of the things we should touch on is technology. Right in in areas. That we operate, just in the industry itself, it's difficult to find labor, right? Um, and there's a lot of facilities that are running short on labor. And quality control, with such a big push on quality of on our end products, quality control is very, very important. So you either have a choice of further technology or adding physical labor itself. And because it's difficult to find the physical labor within the industry, we've moved to technology, whether it's an optical sorter. Um, we've looked at robotics, which is probably coming down the road within the next, you know, two to five years. Some facilities have already adopted it on the back end of the line from a quality standpoint. We're a little bit away from robotics with regards to it being a front line, front line sorter, as we call it. So um, as technology advances, you'll you'll see more of the robotics, more of the optical sorters to kind of fill the gap on where we do not have labor. That's really really important you, you see a shift in that in that industry and in, in, as far as the industry from a technology standpoint
0: so i guess you know coming away from this what's the the one takeaway message that you'd want for for folks right when we talk about recycling today some of the issues that you brought up what's the message for everybody
4: And i would push people to remember that hierarchy of reduce, reuse, recycle. Um, We seem to kind of forget that. Recycling comes last in that, um, and you need to reduce what you're using, get reusable water bottles, things like that, reuse things in the home, and then also to recycle. It's extremely important. It's one way that we can combat how much raw material we are using, and I just would urge people to, to remember that, to reduce, reuse, and recycle.
3: And if I could just add to that, As a society, we just need to do a better job from a packaging standpoint and what we're ordering online, what we're not ordering online. And I don't think folks realize the waste that is created just by a daily online order, right? We have to figure a way, you know, from a packaging standpoint, the producers do, us as a society, figure a way that we're not just easily ordering online and creating this waste on a daily basis.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for joining us, Bob and Rachel, uh, for coming out here today. And um, yeah, safe driving back home. Thanks for having us. My pleasure.
1: Thanks for joining us to learn about contamination in recycling and how we can do our part to keep our recycling streams clean.
2: Check out our next episode where we'll be talking about technology and collection trucks and career paths for drivers and technicians. In the meantime, don't forget to follow this podcast, give us that five-star rating, and share your feedback on future topics you'd like to learn more about. We look forward to hearing from you soon.